All right, grab your Bibles if you would. We are going to go to Luke chapter 7. And thank you, Megan and Hannah. Thank you so much. It's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Thank you. So. And, and uh, go ahead and stand with me if you will. We're going to honor the Lord's word here today. So Luke chapter 7, 17 through 35. So we're going to take the last verse that we talked about on Sunday. And we're going to bring it in and we're going to read a lot of scripture. And we're going to try to make this uh, short, sweet, to the point, and powerful evening. So, no, you just listen. You can read, read along with me in your, with your eyes. So you just, yes. So, starting in verse 17, here we go. This report about him went throughout Judea and all the vicinity, which we'll get to in a moment. Then John's disciples told him about all these things. So John summoned two of his disciples and sent them to the Lord, asking, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men, re- when the men reached him, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? At that time, Jesus healed many people of diseases, afflictions, and evil spirits. And he granted sight to many blind people. He replied to them, Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Those with leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor are told the good news. And blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. After John's messengers left, he began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swaying in the wind? What then did you go out to see? Maybe a man dressed in soft clothes? No? See, those who are splendidly dressed and live in luxury are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? Hmm, a prophet? Ah, yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, no one is greater than John. But the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when all the people, including the tax collectors, heard this, they acknowledged God's ways of righteousness because they had been baptized with John's baptism. But since the Pharisees and experts in the law had not been baptized by him, they rejected the plan of God for themselves. To what then should I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They're like children, sitting in the marketplace and calling to each other, we played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a lament, but you didn't weep. For John the Baptist did not come eating bread or drinking wine. And you say, he is a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, oh, look at glutton and a drunkard. Ah, friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet, wisdom is vindicated by all her children. You may be seated. So, I want to focus on this word tonight. Greater. Not the thing you you do the cheese with, you know. (laughs) A little bit different. But you think about greater, and you think about, man, 
what would life be like greater? Hmm. And when you ever try to make a decision, and you're just like, man, what would fill in the blank think? Where, am I getting affirmation from this person? Would these people approve of this decision? What do you think, God? Oh, God, show me your will. Show me your will. Gosh, how many, how many times have we like imaginatively you know, flagellated ourselves with the whip to like, you know, trying to like, what is your will, God? What is your will? I remember when I was at summer camp back in I was I was sitting there and I was like, in, I was it's I just uh, I think it was in senior year of high school and I was trying to figure out what to do. I was gonna was I gonna go to Baylor to go music, get a scholarship and try to go to Baylor? Should I go to stay at Cal Baptist and become a youth pastor, like music pastor, or music music pastor, or, or youth pastor, music pastor, worship pastor? You know, I was I was wrestling so much with this decision. So I knew it was ministry of some sort. Didn't know, know that years later I was going to be an actual pastor. <laughs> um, but I wrestled with that. And I, I remember at, at summer camp, I was there at the altar, weeping, just, God, show me your will. And then my sister said these words that I'll never forget. Well, can you glorify God in music ministry? It's like, well, yeah. Well, can you glorify God in youth ministry? Oh, well, Yeah. Make a choice, dummy. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, I had this, like, it was all upon the opinions of people outside of myself whether or not I should do something. And I was thinking, if they approve, then I'll have that approval to go and do it. We wrestle with these decisions. What does it take for you to make a decision? Think about that. In our lives, who is the greater authority telling us or approving a decision that we want to make or not? But let's look at that word greater. In the, in the scripture passage, it says it here specifically, I want, to, I want to focus on a little bit later, in verse 28. It says it twice. You know, and we'll get there in a minute, but I want to look at the word greater. Greater is you know, pre, you know, predicated on rank. This word, you know, this, the meaning in this context as belonging to a person, eminent for ability, virtue, authority, power, a greater elevation of people within society, right? <clears throat> but let's look at this passage of what it is saying about Jesus. Because like I said, the gospels are all about the good news of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The Gospels are the are the the yelling from the rooftops, the proclamation of Jesus. If we remember all the way back to the very beginning, back at what November when we started Luke, why did Luke write the Gospel of Luke? Because he wanted to create an orderly account of the life and ministry of Jesus. So he's going around and like interviewing different people who are involved in, in all these different stories and interviewing people that were, uh, that they were talking to. Remember, who do, we, who do we get the testimony about Jesus' birth from? His mother. Who better to tell the story, right? <laughs> Except maybe, you know, Joseph, 
you know, because, you know, he wasn't writhing in pain, like screaming, like, ah! Yeah. I seem to remember a lot more details about uh, the first couple of years of my kids' lives than my wife uh, with the pregnancy brain and everything. You know. But I love the picture of this story. Of, of this, the gospel is, is written to exclaim about the greaterness of Jesus. And so let's look at, at this passage. What is it saying about Jesus? Well, he's saying, you know, he's, so there's this conversation between John's disciples and Jesus. Um, but you know, why? Because verse 17, the report about him went everywhere throughout Judea and all the vicinity. Then John's disciples <coughs> came and asked them all these different questions, questioning him, questioning him. But what did they come in and see? What did they come and encounter? What was the testimony that Jesus told these disciples? Look around you. Look around at what's going on. Look at all the things that, all the works that my hands are doing. Well, let's look at why those are important. So we, we see here, Isaiah 35. All these things are fulfillments of scripture. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. For water will gush in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Your dead will live. Their bodies will rise. Awake and sing. You who dwell in the dust, for you will be covered with the morning dew, and the earth will bring out the departed spirits. Chapter 29. On that day, the deaf will hear the words of a document, and out of a deep darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. The humble will have joy after joy in the Lord, and the poor people will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. And here's that famous one, Isaiah 61. The spirit, of the, Lord of God, the spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. All of this is proclaiming that Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. I mean, look at all these things. What does Jesus say? He's like, and what is he, how does he answer, answer this question? He said, at the time, kind of what maybe like when these guys are coming up, you know, coming up into him, he's like healing these people. They're like walking away. Oh my gosh, I can see that. You know, oh my gosh, I can hear that. You know, imagine the sounds going on. Wow, I can walk. This is amazing. I'm dancing. Wow, you're short. I didn't realize how much taller I was than you. <laughs> because he's finally able to stand. You know, imagine the John's disciples coming upon this scene, seeing this line. I love, you know, like the chosen. Have you seen the cho- Go watch the chosen. Man, I love the chosen. There's this whole scene in this, I think one of the last ones where it has this line of people just coming up to him. And imagine John's disciples coming up and, and just like hearing what's going on, hearing the hustle and bustle, seeing all these things happen before their eyes. And they're like, it seems like a silly question to ask now, but are you the one that's supposed to come? Pretty sure that I know the answer, but I need to hear it from you because I got to tell John because he's kind of a stickler, you know. <laughs> but all these things taking place, fulfilling prophecy about what? The Messiah. All of these things were prophecies being fulfilled in front of their very eyes about Jesus himself. Which is an interesting question to ask. Why does John send these guys? I mean, Jesus' cousin, right? 
baptized him, said, I'm unworthy to tie his, untie his sandals. He must increase. I must decrease. He is the one that I've been prophesying about. And he's asking Jesus, wait, wait, wait. Are you sure you're the guy? Are you sure? You sure? Positive? Why is he asking this question? Maybe it could be, you know, he's wanting clarity. Maybe he's doubting. Maybe he's wanting it for the benefit of the, of the guys going to see him. Maybe he's like, these guys are questioning Jesus. Like, no, aren't you supposed to do? No, 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 no. I'm him, him. Go him. Go him. Okay, okay. Go ask him this question and see what he says. Then you'll believe, right? Or maybe John is maybe wondering himself. Maybe he had been building all this stuff up, building all this stuff up. And he, like everyone else, is like, you're not the Messiah that I thought you were going to be. You're, you know, for, for, there were two different kinds of ways to think about the Messiah back then. It was A, like we talk about a lot, a military leader or a political leader, right? Um, but we, we, there's also this other you know, position of the prophets. You know, the prophets themselves thought that the Messiah was going to be this like great, you know, lasers coming out of his eyes and like just vindicating all of God's enemies, not just like the Romans. But we're talking like, those who the, the, these very, you know, devout, you know, Jews were like against like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, all these political leaders and stuff like that, right? And so we have, there was this opinion that, that the Messiah was just going to come and annihilate all of the political affiliated people, even. All the people in the temple, all the people in, in, in the Essenes and the Zealots, all the, the Pharisees throughout all the land in the synagogues, right? John came from this very, very devout customs down in the Dead Sea called Qumran, this, this group of people called the Essenes, right? So maybe this is John thinking, you're not doing what I anticipated you would do. There's a question for you. You ever want Jesus to be something that maybe he doesn't want to be in your life? You ever expect Jesus to do something and you get disappointed because he doesn't come through the way that you want him to be? We, like we talk about Sunday, we have this litmus test that if it's God, it's going to look like this. How I paint it with my paintbrush, Jesus, this is the picture you've got to fulfill. Right? It's like playing this divine game of horse. You know, right? You do what I do, Jesus. And then he like does this weird like crazy jump shot, like bounce shot, like, no, 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 Jesus, I, that's not what I, that's not what I, no. Come on. Show off. Show off. Do it my way. We try to, like, form Jesus into our mold. Like John. Maybe John was in that same perspective. But it's interesting to see Jesus' response to these questions. Look for yourselves. Look what I am actually doing. Would you rather me shoot lasers out of my eyes and destroy enemies or heal the blind and the poor and the sick and the lame? Seeing people leap for joy that have never walked in their life. Watching people open their eyes for the first time and see color they've never seen before. It's one of my favorite videos is watching those people with the, with the glasses, the people who are colorblind and they put on those glasses 
and they see color for the very first time in their entire lives, start weeping. Imagine that, but like a bajillion fold. Thousands and thousands of times better. It's interesting Jesus' response. Not just look, but what did he say at the end of of this, this section here? Verse 23, and blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. Blessed is the one who isn't offended that I didn't come the way that they anticipated me coming. Blessed is the one who hears the words they may not want to hear. Or hear, here's words that they didn't ever anticipate hearing. I know, here's the thing, like, I don't want to, I don't want to just hark on the fact that we get disappointed with how Jesus responds. I want to hark on the fact that Jesus responds better than we could ever even dream of Jesus responding. Jesus is greater. And this is attuned to this, this passage in, in 1 Peter about basically like saying, blessed is he who does not stumble because of me. Right? <clears throat> so let's look at that. 1 Peter. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God. You yourselves are living stones. A spiritual house are being built up to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, I know we use a scripture passage quite often to show how we are the temple, the new temple. The church is the temple of the Holy Spirit, the dwelling place for him. But here's the continuation of that. For it stands in scripture, see, I lay a stone in Zion. I, a chosen and honored cornerstone. Now, cornerstone, if you, if you look at, they actually, you can see the, the, the temple cornerstones today that they hauled in that are still there from the first temple period. Because they couldn't, t- they, these things are literally the size of a bus in length. They're about this tall. Solid stone. Except for a hole in the corner that they would throw a rope through to drag it. Huge. But it was a cornerstone. It had to be perfect. Down to the very minuscule degree or else the entire structure would be completely off. It had to be exact. Because it set the pace for the rest of the construction. It was the first one laid. And the most, they would spend more time on that cornerstone than probably the, most, the rest of the walls. Not just in its construction, but in its positioning, where they put it. Again, fraction of a degree, the whole, the whole structure is ruined. But he says, Jesus is the chosen and honored cornerstone. Jesus is building a new temple. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So, honor will come to you who believe. But for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone. Who is the cornerstone? Jesus. And a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word. They were destined for this. This is what they were destined for. Jesus is greatest. Jesus is greater than our presuppositions, than our assumptions, than our wildest imaginations of who he is. But it's interesting to note what Jesus says about John. Let's look at that. 28. John is greatest. 
well, why is he greatest? What is, what is Jesus meaning when he says this? When he, when he says, you know, I tell you among those born of women, no one is greater than John, but the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. We'll get to that. Stop it. He's, he's coming. He's basically the bookend to the Old Covenant. He's the last of the great Old Testament prophets. Really, if, if, I, if I were a, a biblical scholar and I was able to, to kind of reorganize the Bible again and, and put the new, you know, Old Testament, New, new Testament, you know, Old Covenant, New Covenant, I would move that bookend all the way to the resurrection. We're still in Old Covenant. John is fulfilling the last of the Old Covenant prophets. And Jesus himself comes to be the exclamation point at the end of the Old Covenant and inaugurate the new with his resurrection. The cross was the fulfillment of the Old Covenant. Abrahamic, Mosaic, everything. And he is the inaugurator and the ratifier of the new with his, with his resurrection. People didn't get ticked off at people who proclaimed the gospel until they proclaimed the resurrection. They're like, oh yeah, we're good with people dying. We've seen it all the time. We see crosses. I understand what you're talking about, cross. Oh, yeah, yeah, I see that. Yeah, it sucks, but you know, hey, it's part of life. Have you seen, seen the life of Brian? Just look on the bright side of life. <laughs> yeah. Crucifixion was a part of their daily lives. Like I said, even like decades before Jesus even came, 2,000 people were crucified between Jerusalem and Galilee along the road. So that people, Jews who traveled that road, would know and remember who was in charge. Crucifixion was a part of their lives. They probably even had crucifixions in Capernaum where Jesus lived. It wasn't in, just in Jerusalem. It was all over the empire. Sometimes they would just string them up in a tree because they didn't have the, the tools to make one. It was a common day part of life. But it was when they proclaimed the greatness of the resurrection that Jesus did not stay dead. That the cross was not the ultimate victory. Jesus and his resurrection was the ultimate victory over sin, over death, and the grave. That is when the new covenant started. That is when the new kingdom of God exploded, which we'll get to. I'm excited. (laughs) So, John. John, why is he the greatest? Because he comes in the power of Elijah to bring, be the last of the greatest, great Old Testament prophets. He has a divine calling to make the way of God clear, to make the way for God to come near for the great day of what's called visitation, where the great day of the Lord for the coming of the Messiah. That was his call. He was the greatest over even Elijah himself, over and above Moses, over and above Abraham, David, Solomon. He was the greatest over all of them. Of course, Adam, because he sucks. <laughs> he was kicked out of the garden. God, darn it. Stupid Adam. We're going to have words when we get there. What's that? <laughs> yeah. But it's amazing. Why, why is this such great hope for us? The inauguration of the new kingdom, the inauguration of the new covenant. 
John 14. We were talking about this before it started. Truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these. Because I am going to the Father. Jesus' ministry was three years. We have our entire lives to do the things that Jesus empowers us to do through his great power. So what is the point? We are greater. Because what is that second greater in verse 28? But, and I love that word, but, here's the transition. He's the greatest of all the old covenant, but new covenant, here we go, picture, here we are, but the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he, is greater than Abraham, is of course greater than Adam, is greater than Moses, is greater than David. You are better than King David. Oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm just a sinner saved by God. Oh, shut your trap. You are greater than David. Why? Because the Bible says so. The Spirit of Jesus Christ proclaims to our spirits, you are greater. Why? Because Jesus said it himself. That's what I'm saying. This is a heavy word, but it's a good word. We have to remember to look at the Gospels in light of the new covenant reality that we walk in today. We try to put this off out of some weird sense of humility. Oh, no, no, no. Yes! Yes, receive it! Unwrap that sucker! Enjoy it! Put the batteries in and get the remote control and enjoy it! Pass it around! Share it! Here's the coolest thing. John couldn't, or at least didn't, talk to Jesus directly. Why? Because he was in prison. He talked to him like the one time. But he couldn't. He had to send his disciples to him. But who gets to talk to Jesus every day? We do. We can spend time in Jesus' presence every day. As John Crowder says, we can be blissed out in the line at Burger King being in God's presence. While ordering a Big Mac. McDonald's, sorry. You know, combine the things Whopper. here. Whopper, there it is. I should probably not try, you know, try not to do too much you know, product placement right. in these sermons. <laughs> no junk food. Amen. Amen. Baptized. Think about this. They were baptized in John's baptism, which was what? A baptism for like forgiveness of sins. It's like this cleansing of the conscience is what John's baptism was, right? But we are baptized in who? Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are baptized in the triune name of the almighty creator God of the universe. Those who richly baptize themselves must do so over and over and over and over again. The religious have to keep cleansing themselves over and over and over again. Just in this cycle of works wears me out. But we have been baptized by the blood of Jesus Christ for all time. We are greater because we're not just 
among or with or walking at the same time with Jesus. But we are in Christ. What does it say? Second Corinthians 5. For if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. We are in Christ and Christ is in us. That's why we are greater. Colossians 2. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition. Humans like works. Humans like to-do lists. Based on the elements of this world rather than Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. <laughs> I like this part. And you have been filled who is the head over every ruler and authority. You were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands, praise the Lord, by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, in immersion, dunking, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead, And when you were dead in in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all of our trespasses. Remember, past, present, and future. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations. He even threw that sucker away. He can't even write anything on it anymore. That was against us and opposed us and has taken it away. Why? How? How did he throw it away? How did he burn it? By nailing it to the cross. Although one translation says, the nails of his cross crucified me with him and I died. Here's the, here's the rest of that, uh, that first Peter, you know, the, uh, the one about the, the stumbling rock and the stumbling stone. They, they rejected him, right? Here we go. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So we are greater. Why? Because God says so. A royal priesthood, greater than David, greater than the Levites, greater than Aaron, Greater than Moses, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Why does he, we are, why he does, why did he do this? Because remember a few verses back, he's creating us into a, a, a whole, a holy house, a, a new temple. We are the new temple. God's kingdom is greater. In Prostitutes and sinners are entering into the kingdom of God before the religious. As I say even here, it says, and when all the people, including the tax collectors, heard this, they acknowledged God's ways of righteousness because they had been baptized with John's baptism. Their lives have been transformed. This is kind of a side note. This is all parentheses. But since the Pharisees and experts in the law had not been baptized by him, they rejected the plan of God for themselves. They were unappeasable. Like I said. To what then shall I compare this generation? What are they like? Children. Think about toddlers. 
We were watching Jackson and Hazel roam around the, the room here, you know, with the, with the kitchen cart, and Jackson was just sitting on their coloring. Hazel was pushing them around. I'm like, well, he's just keeping them busy. But, <laughs> but it's this, like children sitting in the marketplace calling out to each other, we play the flute for you. It's like, you know, think about, you know, song. You know, kind of go mocking songs, right? You know, we play the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sing a lament, but you didn't weep. Annoying, huh? Right? It's this, this the kingdom of God is for the religious. They'll get over themselves. Stop trying to earn God's favor and enjoy it. The kingdom of God is not in do's and don'ts. The kingdom of God is about being. The kingdom of God is about presence. And the doing comes out of that identity. Walking in and out of who you truly are. Are we truly a holy house? Are we truly a, a royal priesthood? A holy nation? Do you see yourself as part of a holy race? a holy priesthood, a holy nation, a people that God has possessed? Well, he kind of says that. What does he say about that? Let's go back a little bit more. It says, wisdom is vindicated. Wisdom is vindicated by all children. Wisdom. Basically what he's saying is the proof is in the pudding. You want to question it? Look at the results. Look at the life of a person who is religious and trying to live by the rules and you will see a terrible life. You will see a life that is so unenjoyable and so down the dumps and and depression, anxiety, because you're trying to please a holy God all the time and keep a short list with him. That we we never feel like we're enough. We never feel like we're enough. Oh yeah, I sin all the time, all all all, all day, every day. That's a terrible way to live. Constantly never feeling like you're enough. Gosh, can you imagine a marriage like that? Maybe some of you guys know marriages like that. Maybe you've had a season like this in your marriage where you don't, where anything you try to do is never enough for your spouse. Do you feel very intimate with your spouse? No. Does God want that kind of relationship with you? No. God wants a loving, intimate relationship. The reckless love of God. Joy, flourishing. The proof is in the pudding. Life lived in the eternal kingdom of God is greater than the religious life and the licentious life. But the legalistic life and the licentious life. Better than both of them. Because here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you can just go off and do whatever you want. You can go off, he's like, oh, I'm good. All right, I'll just keep sinning, doing whatever I want. Cool, I'll just keep going, going off and getting drunk. I'll just keep going off and doing this and doing that. No, that's not what I'm saying. It says in this awesome book, Jesus Manifesto, it's like going along this razor's edge and you fall off one side into licentiousness and you fall off the other side into legalism. The gospel is staying on the ridge in between the narrow path. There is that center point between between both, between the world and the religious. Grace. And it's a good way to go. It's a good path. If you'll stay on it. 
my, my, my temptation is always to the, the legalism side. I tend to try to behave more and do good things for God and keep a short account with him. I want to make sure God is pleased with me so he'll do what I want him to do in my life. Versus understanding that God is a God who wants to bless us. And so God's kingdom is greater. Think about word, that word. Greater. Jesus is greater. John's the greatest, was the greatest <laughs> until us. Why? Are we awesome? Is it all about us? It's like, sup? It's about Christ in you. The reason you become greater, the reason you become powerful in this world, the reason why you have a, a life that is truly filled, with, can be truly filled with joy, filled with freedom, is because of Christ and only because of the Spirit of Christ living in it and working in your life. And that has nothing to do with what you do in the sense of like trying to earn it or cultivate it yourself. It's all cultivated by the Holy Spirit of God. And His reckless love. The great and amazing love of God. Let that message sink into you guys. Sink into our hearts. I always love this, this illustration. I'll say it again. So, you know, grace and salvation is not a preloaded gift card with the blood of Christ, and we scan it to save ourselves from past sins, and we have to reload it with our good works to pay for future sins. Not how it works. He has paid for it for all time. So we lean into that. We discover that. We enjoy that. And we live that out. Only when we understand it and we come to grasp it and we spend time in God's presence can it truly manifest out of our lives. It's all about the origin. Where does it start? It starts with Christ. God, your kingdom is greater. You are greater, Lord Jesus, and you in us. I love that, God. The, the mystery hidden before all ages past that creation itself had longed to see is now put on display. And that is you, Christ, in us. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would just take the words and embed them into our hearts, that you would help the coin to drop from our head to our heart, that we would grasp the fullness of your joy. Your joy for us, your joy in us, and our joy glorifying you, Lord, because of your great love for us. Bless us, Lord Jesus, for we are not offended by you. Bless us, Lord, because we have not stumbled over you. We have received you. We have accepted you. So bless us, God, because we love you, because you first loved us. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.